All right. We finally come to the prophetic portion of this book study we've been calling Practical Prophecy. And actually, of course, we're going to be looking at both First and Second Thessalonians. And both those books emphasize the practicality of prophecy and the dependability of future end times Bible prophecy. But tonight we begin in earnest the prophetic portion of First Thessalonians, and we will invest several weeks in this particular portion of the book, which actually runs from chapter 4, verse 13, through chapter 5, verse 11. And what I want to do tonight is talk about what the rapture is all about. We're going to look at the forest before we look at the trees. We're going to talk about the big picture of the rapture event. Now, let me say just in passing, I do want to show you this diagram that is kind of our prophetic Bible prophecy baseline because it's based on the contents of the book of Revelation, uh, church age, rapture, tribulation, second advent of Christ, millennial kingdom, and then new heaven, new earth. And in fact, in the book of Revelation, we see a door opened in heaven, John caught up to, to go to heaven. That's a, a reference to the rapture event. And we, we see the scene in heaven after the rapture, but just before the tribulation breaks out on earth in Revelation chapter 4 and 5. And so we're looking at the rapture in First Thessalonians four thirteen through 18, and we see a reference to the rapture in Revelation 4, 1, and, and uh, really all of chapter 4 and 5 of the book of Revelation. Now, we're going to emphasize tonight there are two major passages on the rapture event. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-18, our primary passage, and also 1 Corinthians 15, 51-58, which we'll refer to uh, a little bit in a moment. But there are a lot of other passages as well, and over the next several weeks as we look at what I consider to be the most important passage on the rapture, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-18, we'll look at other related passages as well. I'll just tell you, right up front that my personal favorite reference to the rapture is something that Jesus himself says in Revelation 22:12 where he says behold I'm coming quickly I'm coming suddenly the rapture event will happen suddenly it's imminent there's no unfulfilled prophecy or no signs that have to take place before from the human point of view it could happen it could happen at any moment but the lord says behold I'm coming quickly suddenly without warning and my reward is with me to give to each believer according to what they deserve. We're not saved by works, but will be rewarded based on the level of good, good works we produce in our Christian lives. Uh, the Lord will evaluate the quality of our Christian lives and give reward and commendation commensurate with the level of our faithfulness and fruitfulness. And he's just basically saying there, uh, I'm coming back from my church at the rapture event and beginning the uh, biblical end times on earth when that happens as well. But I just can't wait when I come back to get my church uh, and to resurrect the church uh, to give them their rewards. He's just like a uh, a young father. who just can't wait to give his young children a, a birthday present or a Christmas present, something like that. Now, let me just say quickly, 
Three things to know about the rapture. Number one, it's the next biblically prophesied event, next major biblically prophesied event in end times Bible prophecy. It will begin the end times, or what our Lord Jesus calls the end of the age. He uses that term in the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24 and 25. And the rapture event will not just be the next prophetically uh, significant event that will take place. Uh, it's not just going to begin the end times. It's imminent, as we've said. It's impending. It's overhanging. It could happen any moment, and it will happen suddenly when it happens. Okay? Now, as I say, we're coming to the third and final part of the book of 1 Thessalonians and our practical prophecy series. And let me just tell you that the first part of the book was about how the Thessalonians turned from God to idols, their salvation. second part of the book was about their sanctification, their Christian life, how they are now, as believers, serving the living and true God. And now we come to chapter 413 through 511, and we move from salvation, sanctification, to anticipation, the prophetic content, and we're told that as Christians we are to serve and work while waiting for his Son, God the Father, Son from heaven, who's going to deliver us from the wrath of the tribulation to come. So here's one thing you need to know right at the beginning of this. As we come to the prophetic portion of the book of First Thessalonians, I want you to realize that that, that portion, uh, that third major portion of this book, breaks into two parts. 4.13-18 through 18 talks about the rapture waiting for the sun to come from heaven for us. And then the second part of this prophetic portion is found in chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, which talks about dynamics of the tribulation. So we see the rapture first, tribulation second. Now, uh, a lot of Christians believe that the rapture passages and the rapture event are uh, talking about uh, an event that will take place as an attendant circumstance with the second advent of Christ. That is, Christ will be coming from heaven, and the believing church will be caught up to meet him in the air as he continues to come down, and then we all come down with him, and that's the second advent. And then, depending on your understanding of prophecy, whatever you think happens after the second advent, and I personally think there'll be a literal 1,000-year kingdom on the earth after the second advent, but not everybody believes that. But my point is, most Biblical thinkers, um, most scholars, would say the rapture event is not really separate from the second advent of Christ. Uh, The rapture is us being caught up to meet the Lord in the air as he's coming down and going right back down with him uh, in that same event. I I don't see it that way. I see a distinction, and we'll talk about this in detail in the future, between the rapture and the second advent. Uh, The rapture event is 1 Thess 4 and 1 Corinthians 15 and John 14, where Jesus says, Don't panic. Keep believing. In my Father's house in heaven, there are many dwelling places. Uh, weren't so, I would have told you. I'm, I'm going to come back and take you back to the prepared places. If I go and I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to come back and take you, the apostles, foundation of the New Testament church, back to the prepared places in heaven, not to earth. So, uh, just realize, depending on what your background is, uh, you may not have heard about the rapture event because many p- teachers and preachers think the rapture event is part of the second advent. I'm seeing them as distinct. Uh, 
uh, people say, well, the word rapture doesn't appear in Scripture. But yeah, it really does, because when this main passage, 1 Thess 4.13-18, the major rapture passage was translated from the original Greek into the Vulgate, uh, which was the Latin translation of the Bible, the word that First Thess translates uh, into English, the Lord's going to be in the air and will be caught up to meet him in the air. When they translated caught up in Latin, they used the Latin term rapturo. <clears throat> Excuse me. Rapturo was Latin for being caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and we get the word rapture, just a theological term based on that. So, in fact, that term is in the Bible if you're looking at the Latin Bible, right? So, we're in the prophetic portion of this book, First Thessalonians. It has two parts, the rapture and the second advent. And the first part there on the rapture is found in 4, 13 through 18. And frankly, it's the, the major. There are many passages on the rapture, but I think this is the major passage on the rapture. So, let's read our major passage here. And I'm going to read it with some commentary just to kind of give us a a uh, understanding background for this passage. And then in the weeks to come, Lord willing, we'll go into more detail. And then we'll go from there. But I'm looking at 1 Thess 4, 13-18 in the New American Standard Bible. And it says this, But we do not want you to be unaware, brethren. Brethren means fellow believers, male or female. Michael, as much as Amanda Birch. Uh, Debbie, as much as Brad McCoy. Dale, as much as Debbie Corbin. Uh, the Net Bible, Bible.org on the web, uh, consistently stresses that as they do their translation. Brethren is not masculine specific in these kind of generic contexts. Paul says, I don't want you to be unaware, uninformed, ignorant fellow believers about those who are asleep. Uh, to be asleep is a euphemism for the death of a believer. Okay, now we know based on clear teachings of Scripture, such as 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8, that death for the believer is to be absent from the body and with the Lord. Death in Scripture is not extinction, it's separation. Spiritual death is relational separation from God. Physical death is the separation of our consciousness from our body. So when we talk about those who are asleep in the New Testament, the writers are not talking about soul sleep, where the soul is in the body, it's just unconscious. It's talking about the death of believers and really the status of the body, which are phenomenological language. It looks like it's asleep when you go at the visit to the visitation at the funeral home, but it's not really asleep. It's dead. It's just a euphemism for the death of believers, the bodies of believers. But we don't want you to be uninformed, fellow believers in Christ there in Thessalonica, about those believers who have died. Uh, apparently there have been some false teachers that have indicated that believers that die before the rapture event are going to miss it, or they're going to be second-class citizens in the future, or whatever. There, there was some false distorted teaching on that, and some confusion about whether or not believers who die before the rapture event would be involved in the rapture, or how they'd be involved in the rapture. And Paul here is going to say, not only are they not going to miss the rapture, they're going to be the first ones resurrected, and then the generation that's alive on the earth will be resurrected immediately after that. 
So he says, look, I, I want to clear away ignorance. The great thing about ignorance is, you know what's really great about ignorance? It's curable. Ignorance is curable. Uh, about those who are asleep, believers who have died, so you may not grieve in the same way, in the same manner as do the rest, unbelievers who have no hope beyond the grave. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, that Jesus died and was resurrected three days later, very important concept here. The word resurrection does not mean consciousness after death. Resurrection is always the reunion of the consciousness, the soul and the spirit, with whatever is left of the physical body, which God uses as raw material and transforms those atoms into a spiritual yet tangible resurrection body, an imperishable body, like the one the Lord Jesus had. On the day of the crucifixion, he tells the believing gangster, the believing terrorist next to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Our consciousness is going to leave our bodies. We're going to go to Abraham's bosom, to, to paradise, okay? Today, on Friday, what happened after that, before the sun went down? They began to bury the body of Jesus. They couldn't finish because the sun went down, Sabbath kicks in, so the early on Sunday morning, as the sun's just coming up, the ladies are going to the tomb so they can finish the burial process, and they find uh, there's no body in the tomb, right? Uh, the resurrection of Jesus didn't take place on Friday, Friday, uh, April 3rd, 33 AD, when he, his spirit left his body, when his consciousness left his body and went to paradise. He was resurrected when his consciousness, his soul and his spirit, went into what was left of his body, and it was only a couple of days dead, so it was still largely intact. It had not decayed significantly, right? And that body was supernaturally transformed into and used as the raw materials uh, for his resurrection body. So Paul's saying, look, the folks that die for the rapture aren't going to miss the resurrection, aren't going to fail to get a resurrection body, aren't going to fail to participate in the end times. Uh, If we believe that Jesus died and three days later after his death, he was resurrected, his soul went back into his body, supernaturally transformed, Even so, God the Father will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Jesus, those who have died, believers who have died before the rapture, whose souls have gone to be with the Lord. They're going to come back with the Lord at the rapture, and they'll be resurrected before the living believers of the church age in that last moment before the end times kicks in are resurrected in place. That's the point. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. This is serious. You can take this to the bank. That we who are alive, the generation of Christians who are alive and remain on the earth until the parousia, until the rapture event, until Christ comes for his church with the souls of those church-age believers who had departed previous to that, that we who are alive on earth and remain on the earth until the coming of the Lord in the rapture shall not proceed in resurrection those who have fallen asleep, those believers who died before the rapture. In other words, the folks who have died before the rapture, their bodies are buried, or they might be cremated or blown up or burned up or something. God can find all those atoms no matter where they are on planet Earth or in the stratosphere, bring it all together. He's making it, I think God makes it a point to use the atoms 
that were involved in our physical body to emphasize the reality and the significance of the now. The now is real, it's important, but it's not the ultimate and it's only temporary. We've got a lot to look forward to. The best is yet to come on steroids multiplied by a billion then multiplied that by infinity. Uh, but the point is, whatever, Paul's saying, whatever you've been hearing about those who died before the rapture, and some of these people have probably been martyred for their faith, they're not going to miss anything. In fact, they get to see Jesus sooner. They get resurrected first. They're from, from the big picture. There's a lot of advantages. Although personally, I would like to be uh, alive and just raptured in place. And right now we're the only generation that qualifies. Uh, but even if the rapture doesn't happen for another thousand years or 10,000 years, it's going to happen and will happen in the order he's laying out here in this passage, this very important rapture passage, First Thess, First Thessalonians 4, 13-18. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, the Lord Jesus, uh, with the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Let's translate that, shall be resurrected first. And you know resurrection isn't consciousness after death. It's the reunion of our consciousness, our soul, and our spirit with the elements of our body, such as they are, supernaturally transformed by God such that our soul and spirit goes back into a body that's a resurrection body. The raw material created by God was our the atoms of our physical body, but this is a spiritual yet tangible body that can survive outer space and all eternity and won't get cancer and won't get old and won't fall apart. And uh, we all kind of yearn for that. And if you don't yet, give it a couple of years and you will. When I was 20, I was surprised that all my Christian friends who were 40 and up liked to uh, talk about their aches and pains so much, and now I understand. As you get older, you find out, right? So the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout, voice of the archangels. This is a major marker of a whole new paradigm. We're going from church age to end times. And the dead in Christ, those who have died before the rapture, those believers who have died before this event, will be resurrected first. Then we who are alive and remain on the earth when this is happening will be caught up in the in the, the Vulgate, the Latin version. That's the verb rapturo. Shall be caught up, raptured, translated in place, and just tractor beam up to the Lord to go back to heaven. Revelation 4 and 5, the control room before the tribulation breaks out on the earth. Uh, and then he says, we'll be caught up uh together with them with the uh, believers of the previous generations who have been come back with the Lord and been resurrected just before us then we'll be together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and thus shall we always be with the Lord in that status with that resurrection body no more sin no more death no more cancer no more wars no more blindness therefore comfort one another with these words now, I want you to notice the parallel passage, 1 Corinthians 15, says, Behold, I tell you a mystery, something new, something not revealed in the Old Testament, something that's New Testament uh, specific. We shall not all sleep. Believers will not all die. The generation of believers, the generation alive when the rapture happens, who will not die. But we will all be changed. We've all got to get a resurrection body to survive uh, into all eternity. And it's going to happen in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trump will sound, the dead will be resurrected and perishable, 
and we shall all be changed, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable, this mortal must put on immortality. So we're thinking about big picture. I just surveyed the major passage. We'll go back and look at the details in some detail in the next several weeks, Lord willing. But when we talk about what the rapture is all about, the rapture is all about the resurrection of church-age believers at the very beginning of the end times, at the rapture event. So take this to heart. Let's think about the two big questions. What does the text mean, and what does the meaning mean to me? Interpretation and application. What does this passage mean in context, big picture? What we just said. The rapture is all about the literal, bodily, supernatural resurrection of believers in Jesus Christ by the power of God at the rapture event at the very beginning of the end times. That's what the passage basically means. Uh, What does that meaning mean to me in my conduct? We looked at the meaning and context. What does the meaning mean in my conduct? Well, it means a lot of things. As a church-age believer in Christ, I will be resurrected and rewarded by Christ at the rapture. And that's a paradigm changing out of this world truth because uh, it should change our whole perspective on life, our whole worldview. Uh, The now is real, and it's important, but it's not ultimate. It's only temporary. Uh, We are TDY, that's military acronym, meaning temporary duty, planet Earth, awaiting PCS, permanent change in station, to heaven. So as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that, we ought to be what Paul says in that second rapture passage, 1 Corinthians 15, in the, the last verse of that passage, after talking about the rapture, he says, Uh, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast in your faith, no compromising on on the moral and doctrinal essentials. Be immovable, be abounding in the work of the Lord, not just a little bit, not just enough to get by. Abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our toil is not in vain in the Lord. We should be encouraged to live wisely and righteously, and we should be convicted to avoid sin and selfishness because of uh, the importance and significance of living for the one who died for us, serving the one who saved us. Now, let let me let you on a little secret. If you're listening to this, after the fact, uh, my friend Michael Birch had everything all set up so we could actually record the actual Wednesday night service, and uh, we had one problem. We had human error. Uh, some dum-dum forgot to turn on his microphone. I'm too modest to tell you who that dum-dum was, but let's just say now he's the current pastor at Tanglewood Bible Fellowship. So because this was such a uh, kind of a foundational uh, approach, or a, fun, a foundational uh, teaching session on the rapture event, which we're going to spend several more weeks talking about, I thought for those of you really interested and, and couldn't be with us last Wednesday, or listening on the World Wide Web and are interested in, in this uh, from our perspective, uh, I, just, I felt like we need to, to record it and, and do it that way. But Lord willing, if Pastor Dum Dum remembers to turn on his microphone in the future, uh, thanks to Michael and Amanda Birch, our webmasters, we're going to record not just Sunday morning, but also Wednesday evening uh, Bible studies so we can put that on the web and, and hopefully at some point do a podcast too so that... Uh, 
folks that want to listen to it will have access to it. So I thank you for listening. God bless you. And uh, stay in the Word.